Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. The Cardinals have won a couple games here recently, but uh, also been embroiled in some pretty heavy controversy, which we will dive into here very shortly. Uh, I'm Ben Godar. With me, as always, is my good friend, Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing a lot better. It's amazing how uh, notching a series victory at the friendly confines of Wrigley Field can put a bounce in your step. Yeah, it really does. And, um, you know, I would hate for the Cardinals to ever reach a point where they were, uh, you know, basement dwellers, uh, like, say, the Cubs. But uh, I can certainly see how if they were uh, winning series against the Cubs would be the the one bright spot that would make seasons like that, uh, that, that would bring joy in seasons like that. And I, I kind of, I think I experienced a brief window into what that would be like here um, over the past few days. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, and I also, you know, I want to say like the first, in your mind, you have a picture of Wrigley Field. You know what I mean? Like the Wrigley yeah. Field of, of your and yeah. every year, like the first time I see Wrigley Field, I'm like, my God, there's all these ads festooned everywhere and all this garbage. It looks so crappy, but I guess that's just so the Ricketts family uh, can make money. But it really does kind of take away from the Wrigley Field uh, experience a little bit, I feel like. I mean, yeah. do, do you have that feeling when you, it, when you well, see that? I do. And the other thing is like when there's like a foul ball and it goes into the stands, it's like the stands don't look like the stands anymore. Right, it, right. It, it reminds me of like when you're we're playing like a baseball video game and like the field itself was rendered accurately. But then as soon as the ball went into the stands, it was just the same like generic baseball stands for every baseball field. That's kind of what Wrigley Field is like now. Yes, yes. And it also feels like they kind of undid the Bartman you know what I mean? Like, yes. I feel like that's a, a national historic landmark like where, where Bartman uh, didn't, you know, interfered with uh, Moises Alou's ability to make an attempt at catching the fly ball. I'm still not convinced he would have caught it, but it's like, you know, you're, you're kind of like undoing history yeah. just all in the name of, of making money. And it just feels uh, a little unfortunate uh, every spring, uh, or later, I guess it, it could come later in years ahead because of the bout, like the rebalance schedule. Is that what they're calling it? But, you know, we might be going, we might be playing in Wrigley later uh, than even, you know, May in the yeah. years ahead, which is yeah. pretty wild to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, at any rate, uh, we are going to um, dive in here today. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, Mike Shannon a little bit later, which obviously was a huge, huge blow for, for uh, Cardinals fans. But um, first off, um, we're going to skip what have we learned, because I think the, the thing we, we know we want to dive into uh, is, is really centered around the whole kind of uh, Wilson Contreras uh, drama and narrative that's really um, just dominated the uh, the Cardinals news cycle over the past. I think it's only been a week, Ben, but it feels like it's been about uh, 16 years at this point. So, um, so I, I think we're just going to dive right in on this. And, and I know we, we want to approach it from a couple angles. I think we want to, um, you know, on the, on the one hand, um, you know, talk a little bit about just sort of uh, the history or kind of what we think led up to this, but then also just talk about how the team handled it. Um, and and I guess I kind of wanted to dive in first and talk about where I think this all came from. And I feel like a, in an interesting way, uh, the roots of this tie into kind of the other big Cardinals social media story of the past couple of weeks, which doesn't feel nearly as big now because this one got so big. But do you remember the whole Eno Saris uh, tweet about how poorly the Cardinals rated in Stuff Plus? And then uh, that former Cardinals uh, uh, farmhand Paul Schwindel, who had the tweet about the uh, uh, you know farm director Gary Larock um, uh, coming to camp and telling him not to try to strike guys out. Do you, do you remember that, Ben? That was yes. That, that was that was probably about a week and a half ago. That feels like about 20 years ago at this point. <laughs> well, I bring that up because 
you know, I think we've talked about that, uh, you know, that, that, that mentality for a long time here. And I think it should just really be clear to anybody who follows this team, you know, that's, that's not a bug. That's a feature of the, of the St. Louis Cardinals and how they're constituted and really how they've done business for uh, a number of years now. And, you know, whereas, you know, MLB teams just in general are built around offense and pitching, right? And when uh, we evaluate teams and people, you know, kind of build models to say how many games are teams going to win, that's pretty much what they look at are those two components, offense and pitching. What the Cardinals have done and what they've been successful with for, for several years now is, you know, running these teams that have, uh, you know, uh, very good offense and intentionally mediocre pitching. Uh, but they squeeze maximum value out of these supplemental areas like defense, like base running, and like, you know, catcher, game calling, framing, etc. And I, that's the formula they've been running, you know, I think at least the last five years, you know, at least since Schilt took over for Matheny and the defense really kind of maximized that they've been a top five defense since then. I think you just really can't argue that's that's been the formula that they've been executing since then. What I would say, what I would suggest we've seen happen this season is, uh, you know, they made a really half-assed attempt to shift away from that model. You know, in that... Uh, you know, they had the potential to move to uh, an even more uh, offensive heavy, uh, you know, team. And so we saw them do things like, uh, you know, bring Jordan Walker up to the team. And we saw them go out and replace Yachty, not with uh, a, another defensive specialist type catcher, but with Wilson Contreras, right? So they made some moves that uh, didn't maybe adhere to that structure that they've been built around um, in years past. Uh, the problem is they still have a team full of these garbage pitch to contact pitchers, and they have an entire organization of those guys. It's not just the starting rotation. It's, it's frankly the entire organization. It's throughout their entire minor leagues. It's, it's an organizational philosophy. That is just who they have in this, in this organization. And, you know, they went through the first month of the season and it was just an absolute train wreck. And I, I think they panicked. I think they just absolutely panicked. And so in my mind, this Contreras thing, while it really jumped out at us because it was so absurd, it was so absurd what they were doing there. To me, it was exactly coming from the same place as demoting uh, Jordan Walker and then, uh, you know, moving to put Dylan Carlson in as the everyday center fielder once again. Now that's a much more like rational move. I mean, I don't think anybody's necessarily saying that's such a terrible idea, but in the same way, that's moving back to that, you know, really kind of defense first uh, mentality that they've been built around before. And, and I just see them doing, uh, you know, kind of re really doing whatever they can to basically try to rebuild uh, that that system that they feel like has worked for them over these last few years. Whether they can build that or not, I really think that's the thinking that led them to 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 you know to do what they did. Do you what do you think? Do, do you buy into that? Do you do you, do you buy my narrative that that's what got them to the point of making this this decision? Uh, yeah, I think it was looking around and they they do, they don't really have a move. And, and the reason I say they don't really have a move is I, I don't think they're prepared to go to three lefties in the rotation. So I feel like Libertor is in a way blocked by Montgomery and Mats. Mm -hmm. Um and then it was like, how do we wring all the value we can out of these pitchers? But the the funny thing is how they have, you, you know, they've kind of circled back around to Duncanism, you mm -hmm. know, the Dave Duncan approach to pitching, mm -hmm. which is from a different era where 
all of Major League Baseball really pitched to contact, so to speak, more. But Dave Duncan was even more of a of an evangelist for that. Pitch yeah. to contact, keep it on the ground. And that's what the Cardinals have done kind of, you know, I'd say in the last, you know, maybe five to eight years, let's say. Um, they've diverged from where Major League Baseball as a whole uh, is shifting. Um, and really, in a way, pitch to contact pitchers are the new money ball. And that's where they were able to get the excess value by putting together uh, rotations of guys who are not bad, uh-huh. um, but they also aren't top of the rotation guys, but they're so, able to play up with the Cardinals defense behind them and playing their home games in Bush stadium, uh, which has proven to be a very good pitchers park. And we've talked about this on past episodes, but yeah. I feel like those ingredients really uh, fed the philosophy and the way it's formed. And I feel like they're kind of, in a way, they've kind of painted themselves into, into a corner on this. Yeah. And I mean, I might be splitting hairs here, but I would say it's not the pitch to contact guys that are the, you know, the new money ball. It's, it was the, it was the defense. It was the base running. It was the, the catcher value. It was those components that I think the Cardinals were maximizing that was giving them the value. I think these, these garbage pitch to contact pitchers were just as bad as every other team thought they were. You know what I mean? I just think that the Cardinals found ways to, you know, to first of all, with the defense, minimize the damage of those guys. And then they just, they also did enough other things kind of around the edges that maybe things like projection systems didn't always kind of fully give them credit for that they tended to overperform. And, and again, that's why you would consistently see, you know, projection systems, you know, maybe picking the Cardinals to be like an 85 win team and they're, you know, an 88, 89 win team. It was, they were picking up just enough in these kind of, you know, supplemental areas. And, and I also think that, it, it is the blind spot of modern day analytics is the way that catchers work with pitchers mm-hmm. and manage a staff and call games. And I think in, in my opinion, and I've, I've commented about this. I don't know if I've said anything to you, but my wife's probably sick of hearing me talk about, like, I just miss watching Yadier Molina call a baseball game from behind home plate because it was just like the all of the small things that he did and especially like in the hd era you could just take it in Mm -hmm. and it was just like man it's just incredible it's it's he's so good at it and i i'm taken back even further to like when he couldn't hit and tony larusso was like if he hits 200 he helps you win games you know like that's how good he is in the field and um and it feels like over the last uh you know several days that the St. Louis Cardinals management from the president of baseball operations to the manager to the pitching coach I don't think that they fully appreciated everything that Yadier Molina did until their garbage pitch to contact rotation was getting shelled, you know, game after game. And really they're, they're, they've won uh, in Wrigley, but, you know, the first game against the Cubs that Michaelis started, the wind was blowing in about 15 miles an hour and it was 48 degrees. And, you know, he was a few inches here and a few inches there from just having another bad start, you know, and the ball was also hanging up. So who knows how those would have played. And, you know, Flaherty's start was not good. Montgomery's start has not been good. And he's been the best of the pitchers. So like the idea that Kisner has come in and saved the day, I just don't really see it. Uh, the pitchers are still missing spots and giving up hard contact. And it, it seems to me that as the season has gone on, I feel like maybe Marmal, who doesn't really know what he's doing, right? Like he's barely been a manager. He has very limited experience, uh, you know, at this level. Mm-hmm. Um, and with this amount of information, 
that they now have available to them in terms of game planning and strategizing. And I have a feeling that Yachty was probably left to his own devices to prepare. I don't think that Oliver Marmol or Blake or Maddox was micromanaging Yachty or Molina's preparation. And I think, I, I honestly believe this, I think that the people who are decision makers for the Cardinals did not fully appreciate what Yadier Molina did day in and day out for the club, just from a defensive perspective and working with the pitchers. I really believe that. I mean, I, I think you, you're, you, you're, you're, you have to be right. I mean, you know, I think clearly we're, we're seeing that. Um, but I also just feel like uh, as I've watched this, just unfold these last couple of days. Um, I've, uh, I've been re- reminded of to, uh, you know, to, to paraphrase a, a war criminal, uh, Donald Rumsfeld, Ben, um, you know, when it, when it comes to catching, there are, uh, there are, uh, known unknowns and there are unknown unknowns. Right. <laughs> and, and like, I, I, it's, and so I just think it's, and I've just seen so many people in the last few days, right. Cause it was like when, when the Cardinals, made this announcement and they pulled Wilson Contreras, you know, you saw everybody from, you know, the argument that like, well, that's crazy. Contreras is actually doing great as a defensive catcher. Right. And it's like, well, I don't know. Right. You know, uh, there's, you know, I mean, a a number of teams weren't going to touch him in free agency because they didn't think he could, you know, they, they didn't believe in him defensively. Right. Um, then you, you know, then you saw, obviously, just based on the fact that the teams won a couple games, you see people saying like, well, look at that, you know, Kisner's, you know, getting the job done, right? Well, I don't know about that, right? I don't know, we have a lot of it's, it's just going to be very hard to unravel kind of everything uh, that, you know, that's there. I did think that, uh, you know, Kyle Reese, a uh, friend of the show, uh, you know, made a good point on Twitter. He, he actually made it, I thought, an interesting comparison to when Ivan Herrera was up last year and Ivan Herrera, they, you know, again, they pulled him pretty quickly for what really kind of seemed to be maybe somewhat vague, but kind of similar reasons that it just seemed like there was something that he was not executing that the team wanted their catchers to execute. And so again, I hate to get into the unknown unknowns there, but you know, there's just there, you know, there, there's, there's maybe there's, there's something there that the organization feels like is not being done that they want to, you know, that they want to see done. Are they right about that? I don't know. How valuable is that? I don't know. Is that enough more valuable to outweigh the very measurable offensive value that someone like a Wilson Contreras brings and that you're kind of, uh, minimizing when you then move him to a position like designated hitter, where you're displacing another valuable player, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, really starts to get into some just difficult to unpack um, questions there. So I don't know. I guess for me, I just really see this whole framework of theirs where like this this unwillingness to frankly pay money for strikeout pitching I just think it's it's just completely falling apart. And I, I think that is what is falling apart for this organization this year. And that's the thing that makes me worry that they could be on the verge of honest to God having to go into a rebuild. Because that's the one thing that, you know, if they can't cobble together this, you know, garbage pitching, but with defense and base running and, you know, catcher skill or whatever, they really can't make it work at the major league level. And the reality is they don't have uh, they, they don't have strikeout pitching in the minor leagues. There is no reinforcements coming through there. So they they would genuinely have to remake the the pipeline to do that. And and there's not it's also just not an organizational philosophy. There is no player development there. We talked about this with Kyle on the last show. And then of course we have the, you know, the we have former players on Twitter, you know, sharing stories about this. It's just not present <laughs> in the organization to even do that. So that I think should be the things that's the scariest to Cardinals fans is just the fact that like they genuinely do not believe that they need strikeout pitching in this organization, which every other team in the major leagues believes. And 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 if they can't make this other system that they've been cobbling together work anymore, I think it's going to take multiple years for them to 
turn their ship around to actually be an organization that that can produce that kind of uh, a team yeah no i i think you're right it's it's sort of like uh being able to change an organizational philosophy towards something like pitching is a bit like steering the titanic you know it's it's not it's not something you can do in a year or two. It's a slow process. And then you have to be able to develop those arms into major league strikeout pitchers. And that's a long process. And the Cardinals have not really shown an ability to do that. Um, their, I guess, success would be Jack Flaherty, who's been derailed by injuries. And so uh, it is very concerning because what is then the only alternative they have is to go pay for strikeout pitching either in the trade or free agent markets. And have the Cardinals shown an appetite for making that type of expenditure either in prospects or in Bill DeWitt's money? Uh, no, not at all. And so something has to give, and it will be very interesting to see what that something is. Yeah. Um, but the other thing ab about all of this that is so crazy to me, Ben, is they know we have to assume that they know you know they know who their major league pitchers are none of their major league pitchers are are young guys really anymore they're all i they all have more than 5 years of service time yeah. you know they have they have at least 5 years of baseball savant data they know who they are presumably yeah. they also know who their prospects are and yet they still went out they've played against wilson contreras for 6 years yeah. You know, his reputation preceded him. I, I feel like it was pretty well common knowledge. Yeah. Uh, and yet they still went and they they had the meeting with him and they decided this was our guy. And I wanted to read to you this snippet from Katie Wu, uh, her reporting in The Athletic back before the season started. Uh, and this is from their their three and a half hour meeting uh, with Contreras, Marmol and Mosellock and whoever else participated. The first thing to jump off the page for Marmol was Con Contreras's penchant for transparency. Contreras's first question involved how transparent the Cardinals are with their players. Quote, they were surprised that I asked that, but to me it's really important because I feel like catchers are in the middle of everything, Contreras explained. Quote, we are in the middle of the defense, the pitching staff, the whole staff has to be on the same page, end quote. In his one year as manager, Marmol has fostered a clubhouse culture founded on honesty and accountability. For Contreras to reference the importance of that unprompted immediately captured Marmol's attention. Quote, that's when I knew it'd be a good fit, Marmal said. Things work well when people aren't guessing where they stand or what they need to do. Wilson is a player that likes to be communicated with. He plans ahead of time. He's meticulous about his schedule. Hearing him ask about transparency and honesty and overall communication is always good because if he values it, then we know it's going to be an even better fit than we anticipated. This guy is super intentional about the conversations he has and how he prepares, Marmol added. Those were what stood out when we met with him that I didn't know about him going into the meeting. End quote. So basically the whole thing is Contreras is like, you need, I want to make sure that you're transparent and communicate with me because I'm the catcher and I'm in the middle of everything. And communication is very important for catchers. <laughs> and then Marmol is even like, oh, he's a great, he's great at preparation. <laughs> so we really wanted him. And so my whole thing is if his reputation preceded him and you're replacing Yadier Molina, but everyone's going out of the way to say they're not replacing Yadier Molina, right? Mm -hmm. But it sure seems to me, Ben, that they did not make adjustments to their game planning or strategy or preparation from the way it was done under Yadi so that it might fit Contreras better. Yeah. And it seems to me as if you've got five starters who are veterans who use multiple pitches, they, they have to operate, you know, in the it, kind of the shadow of the plate because they don't have good enough stuff to cut it that you might have a little bit more of a give and take between the pitcher and the catcher uh, in terms of strategizing and game planning. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't seem like they did that. It, yeah. it also does not seem that they had an onboarding process designed 
to allow Contreras to come in, you know, from the time he was signed, you know, which was in the winter yeah, and get him up to speed and ready to step in at, uh, at that position and the way that they wanted. And now they're doing this super weird thing where they're going to have him, you know, stand in the dugout by Marmol and, and Blake and absorb things. And I'm just sitting here like, do I think either one of these jokers know what they're doing? Like compared to Molina, like, are they going to, what are they going to help him with? It's, it's the whole thing is so bizarre to me. Right. Because they had months to do this and they were, they failed at it. Marmol, Blake and Mosaloc failed at communicating with Contreras, what they want him to do and how they want him to go about his job. And it is insane to me. That they yeah. that they failed so spectacularly at it that they pulled the plug six weeks into the season. It's nuts. Yeah, and and that's that's just that's just theater. The him standing next to them. That's that, that there's there you know that's not accomplishing anything. I will uh, I'll, I'll except now... to humiliate him. Uh, well, like, yeah. right, like like yeah. teaching him like a well, like a treat or excuse me, no. treating him like a like ten year old in Little League. Well, no, oh, but it's, come but, here, Billy. Stand next to me. I'll tell you how to call. No, but it, it's it's all it's also theater for Marmol and Mo to cover their ass because it became clear within about forty eight hours of them announcing this whole plan that it was just completely blowing up in their face and they were by the way everybody wilson Contreras is going to be back to catching in about a week and a half it's it's patently obvious that that is going to happen the the the, you know this is just not you know uh it it just became clear this is blowing up in their face this is the way it's going to go and i and and that may have always been about the timeline anyway too you know oh by the way um, but they just needed something to kind of that they could point to and say, oh, look, we, you know, look, we did a thing. Right. But I, I think, you know, to <laughs> to to quote from, uh, uh, you know, Mike on Breaking Bad, uh, I think the organization used uh, half measures when they should have gone all the way. Right. This is the this is the issue here. They again, they they did this like half assed uh you know remake this off season right they uh the, the idea that they were going to go from this team that absolutely prioritized defense i mean think about these last couple seasons i mean they have just dominated the gold glove awards which you know granted right it's a gold glove asterisk but i mean you know the, the last few seasons they have essentially had a player who you could argue was you know you know, essentially the, the best defensive player at that position at, at basically every, every position right around the diamond um, pretty consistently, they rolled into this season uh, with, you know, the plan to have Jordan Walker in right field, Alec Burleson in left field, Nolan Gorman at second base, right? Wilson Contreras at catcher. And Oh, by the way, Lars Newbar in center field and Lars Newbar is a pretty good defensive outfielder, but hasn't played, you know, a ton of center field. That's a really weak defense. I mean, that's you're, you're you're you are not prioritizing defense at all with those those choices. And in fact, you've got a number of I mean, Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman. You you have two very distinct like you know hitters that you've in, in positions you've just moved them to, uh, you know, in order to get them a spot on the field. Like you're doing that all over the field. So you, you're making a decision there saying. We're just, you know, we're prioritizing offense is what we're doing. And Contreras is among those decisions. And so I don't think there was ever an onboarding process because I think that that was the plan is just we're going to, you know, we're going to roll out this uh, offensively focused team. And I think it's only now that they kind of saw that wasn't working, that he's getting kind of rolled into all of that. And I just feel like all of these other moves, because they have kind of quietly adjusted in a lot of these other areas, uh, you know, a, a number of these other areas as well, it just becomes a little less glaring than when you take your $85 million free agent catcher who you signed and publicly announce he's never going to be our cat or, you know, he's not going to catch for, uh, you know, the foreseeable future or whatever it was they signed. Um, but, but it's, to me, it's all just part of that same backtracking from this, you know, starting to go in a new direction, but not quite. Um, and, and I just see that so much throughout this organization, you know, holding on to all the all outfielders they've held on to, kind of all of this, just a real inertia and a real like inability to just kind of 
say, yeah, we're going in a new direction. Yeah, we're going in this direction and, and making kind of a, you know, bold, bold choice in a lot of cases. Yeah. And I, I think it's been really interesting because they, you know, as, as you brought up Jordan Walker and then Marmol announces it and is like, oh, and he's going to play some outfield too. And then, you know, yeah. Contreras, who's like transparency, good communication is like, I'm what? <laughs> right. And then Mosellock the next day seeks out Katie Wu. And I think maybe also Ken Rosenthal is like, no, he's not going to play the outfield, right. you know, like, right. and I'm just sitting here like, did you even have a meeting and talk about what he was going to do instead of catch? Like, yeah. how do you not have management walk out of a meeting with a clear plan of how you're going to use this guy if you aren't going to use him as a catcher? And it's so there are two possibilities, right? Yeah. One is they decided he was going to play some outfield, right? Yeah. And then everyone just went through the roof and myself included. I'm, I'm glad I did not have to resign from the podcast. I had the tweet that was you know a joke i was like i may resign from the podcast because i did not see the 3d chess move of demoting jordan walker to triple a in order to play wilson Contreras in the outfield um and and there was a whole lot of sentiment similar to that right and then mosaic immediately walked it back and now it feels like they're kind of even already moving walking it back and then marmal had the you know, the Kumbaya meeting led by Adam Wainwright, where honestly, just reading Adam Wainwright's quotes just made me feel better about the whole situation <laughs> where, you know, Wainwright's like, we told him we love him and how much we appreciate him and that our next championship goes through him at catcher. And I think he needed to hear that because I don't think anyone told him how much we appreciate him. <laughs> and yeah. I'm just like, you're bringing in the 41 year old, you know, frontline worker that everyone respects because management has so thoroughly like bungled this and uh and it was just the whole thing was so ham-handed just so spectacularly incompetent it was it was just amazing and i i would really love to know like the truth of the matter like where you know really like put it to them and have them answer truthfully like who screwed up how and why are we here in your opinion john mosaic in your opinion ollie marmol and in your opinion uh, you know, Miles Michaelis seems like he might be someone who who wants a different catcher uh, since he's been off to a rough start. Like, what's his take on this? But the craziest thing to me, Ben, is, you know, you're talking about half measures. How is it? And I know there's a pitch clock, which Mosellock has been talking about a lot recently, too. Whoa, we just didn't foresee. Well, the 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 communication device that they use uh, between the pitcher and the catcher, that's a two way street. You know, Shohei Otani was in town calling his own pitches. Right. You know, like I've, I've like, heard he also hits too, and pretty well. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, if, you know, I'm sitting there, like, you can you can have Contreras give them something if they don't want it. Just let them throw what they want. They have the ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're the one who is throwing right. it. They're they're right. putting the grip on it and throwing it. Right. Like yeah. to me, there's enough time, even with the pitch timer to right. have the pitcher say no and tell tell Contreras what they're going to throw. Right. Well, and and that gets back to like the I feel like the there's been this really strong media narrative about all of the two strike uh home runs, right? Which which you yes. know, it, it is interesting to see that, but I do think some people then the conclusion has been, well, look at the bad like pitch calling. When you know, the conclusion of course should be none of these pitchers has uh, a swing and miss pitch, right? right? Every pitch that they throw can be crushed because they just, you, you know, n- none of these, there's not a starting pitcher on this team. There's a few guys, I, like granted, there's a few guys in the bullpen here that have swing and miss stuff, right? So yes, you know, asterisk, I'm setting those guys aside. But every single one of these starting pitchers, any pitch they throw, any major league hitter can absolutely crush unless they have you know, really good location on it. And so the second they don't have great location on it, it's, it's just a meatball that can, you know, go 400 feet. And, and so it's, that, that that's why that's happening. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because I, you know, as a general rule, I think it's, it's a major league 
pitcher on average misses his spot by 10 inches. Yeah. I, I think the study, some of the stu- some of the preliminary studies have shown that. Very few of the Cardinals pitchers have a pitch that they can miss the catcher's mitt by 10 inches and have it not be hit hard and far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say the defining characteristic of the Cardinals starters, you know, through the first five weeks of the season or so was having the catcher's glove move from, you know, yeah. the, a corner mm-hmm. up and over the plate. That's, that's yeah. what was happening. And the idea that, Oh, we need more familiarity. Well, familiarity isn't, isn't going to make the pitch go where the catcher wants it to right that's the pitcher's job yeah and so i the the whole thing is utterly bizarre because it seems to me they just have garbage pitch to contact guys who are missing their spots and they have such a a small margin of error it really stings when they do absolutely and 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 all of the like anecdotal pitch framing things that you see people pinning Contreras for are, are like gifts where he has to lunge across the plate because the guys, you know, missed his spot by a ton. And, and yeah, there, obviously there's catchers that can do that better. And there is that is, there is a skill to that, but like consistently when you see that, what you see is a, a pitcher who's thrown a terrible pitch, you know? So like, uh, anyway, anyway, Ben, I don't know. I think, I mean, this was, like I, I think we're in agreement. This was really a, a symptom of uh, uh, something that's kind of a deep, I would say, rot in this in this organization. Unfortunately, I think we agree that it was just handled horribly by everyone involved. Is there is there anything else that you want to say about this, or are we ready to to move on? I, I would like to say one more thing. Um, I I often. My wife often asks me like who my favorite player is and and my running joke is I'm too old to have a favorite player. Uh Yachty retired. Like that that was kind of like my last favorite player, right? Like mm-hmm. um but Wilson Contreras has carried himself with such grace and just he he just seems like such a well-adjusted like big person. And just the things that he has said, the way he has made himself available to the media, the way he has fielded questions and answered them. And then like everything is just like, well, I'm going to be as good a hitter I can, as I can be because I, I want the team to win. I'm going to work as hard as I can to get back to catching because that's what I came here to do. And like just it is all so admirable because everyone above him in the chain of command turned on him and threw him under the bus. And a natural human reaction would have been, you know, just to say, you know, to to heck with these guys and just strike back, right? Mm-hmm. And instead, he has just, he has been a very big person. He has taken the high road and he has taken the long view and he is he is trying to succeed with them. And it is very admirable. And I, I think he may have made himself uh, into my new favorite Cardinal by that. And then yeah. further did so uh, by getting hits against the Cubs and asking for the fans to boo him while see, he's standing on first or second or what have you. See, Ben, I, I mean, I agree with everything you said, but I was going to say he's become one of my favorites by just being a, a walking shit post. That's what I like. It's just... <laughs> Is just, just, just that, and uh, yeah, just, just the absolute like, you know, pure like heel beauty of the way that he yes. like riled up, you know, the, the the absolute heat that he generated in Wrigley Field was 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 an absolute thing of beauty, and uh, you know, the the tongue wagging on the field, and just he, you know. Uh, I always appreciate a player who understands that he's an entertainer and puts on a show out there. And uh, I, I didn't really have real strong feelings about Wilson Contreras one way or another when he was a cub. And I just probably didn't watch him enough to appreciate what a showman he is. But uh, man, I, I enjoy watching. I enjoy watching the man work. Yeah, there was there was some big Scott Hall energy uh, at Wrigley Field this week. Uh, you know, I was really hoping he would do the finger thing like, ooh, uh, to to one of the Cubs players who he has a good rapport with, like just out of fun. But uh, it, it was all really entertaining. Um, 
just the way he has handled himself through this and then to just come out, you know, like they threw him under the bus right before he returned to Wrigley and he just went out there and performed. And it was, I, it was very impressive. Like that takes mental toughness. And I thought it was very impressive. Yeah. And I, I think he's a, a pretty impressive guy. So uh, that's my last point is the way he has handled himself has been just very classy and top notch. I feel until he gets on the field, then he acts like a professional wrestler and it's great. Yeah. Well, Ben, from one uh, great entertainer to one of the, the greatest entertainers, the, the like of which we will unfortunately, I think, probably never see again. Let's, uh, let's take a little bit of time and talk about uh, the great uh, Mike Shannon, who uh, left us uh, since uh, the last time we recorded. Uh, I know you, you and I are both just enormous Mike Shannon fans, which I mean, do we even really need to announce that as longtime Cardinals fans, right? Like that's like it's like saying we both like uh, you know Ozzy Smith or you know the Arch or uh, I mean it's just it goes without saying. Um, but uh, I, I I don't know. I mean, for myself personally, I guess just to kind of kick things off, I, I the I think the thing about Shannon for me is. Uh, you know, he comes from an era and, and just is, is a, a, an individual who had such personality. And I think now it's, and, and some of it is just kind of the, the kind of the culture and just the nature of the job now, but it's just hard for me to imagine a broadcaster, um, you know, being able to uh, have the career that he had and just have the, the, the personality that he, that he had just to have that, that unique kind of voice and personality. Um, I know one of the things I, I, I think I wrote it at VEB and a few people have like quoted it back to me cause they remembered it. Um, I said, I think I said one time that, um, Mike Shannon, um, used the English language, like a jazz musician, right? Like he, you know, kind <laughs> of used, used words as much for their sound as their meaning. And that was yes. just always one of my favorite things about him. Um, and there's so many examples of it. The one that sticks out in my mind, because it was so much more recent, he was just his absolute refusal to call Dylan Carlson Dylan and uh, to consistently <laughs> call him like Dylan or yeah. something like that. And what especially I found so amazing about that was is the fact that, of course, Dylan is a quite common name. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. Oftentimes when you hear a broadcaster, you know, stumble over a name or kind of maybe settle on the incorrect pronunciation, you were like, well, that is an unusual name or we don't see that one often. But, you know, Dylan's been around, right? There's a rather famous uh, folk musician, for example, who was yes. quite popular even back when Mike Shannon was a player with that last name. But yet, you know, you know, Mike, you know, game after game. And it, this wasn't just like the spring training that he, you know, that Carlson came up and was wearing like number 97. This is like years into his career, you know, he'd be like, you know, stepping in, dialing Carlson. <laughs> and so anyway, that was just one example. Um, but uh, again, just the the style, the personality, certainly something I'll always think about. Um, I don't know, Ben, what are some of your, your thoughts when you think about Mike Shannon? Well, uh, to your, to your dialing point, you know, the Cardinals gifts uh, put out the gif of Arenado introducing Carlson, I think maybe to his wife or, or someone he knows. And, you know, he says, this is Dylan. And then Carlson goes, hi, I'm Dylan. Well, whenever I see that and read it, I, I do it in the Shannon voice in my head. And it's like, this is Dylan. Hi, I'm Dylan. And I just would always laugh at it. And that's like my own inside joke that I'm now sharing with our listeners. That isn't particularly funny, but uh, such was his uh, his effect on you. I, I think to me, the the personality was so big and it just came through. Um, and I, I also think that he was a homer obviously for the Cardinals without trying. And he felt as much like a fan as he did a broadcaster. Mm -hmm. And, and that was something 
it's very hard to pull off and be good at it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think he did. And it just all came off just from a genuine love of the game and the franchise. And, you know, the, the, the epitome of that for me was, you know, when, I mean, I think it's probably one of his most famous calls, but when, when Kerry Wood threw the brushback pitch to Pujols and then Pujols and Mike did not like that. And he's, you know, he's calling him big boy. And wouldn't I like, wouldn't you like to see a home run on Waveland Avenue? And, you know, you can see yourself at any bar, you know, drinking a Budweiser and the guy next to you is saying this exact same thing. And it's, it's, you know, and then he hits it out and Shannon goes, you know, in full Shannon mode, but he alternatively refers to wood as big boy and Pujols as big boy, but you totally understand what he's saying. (laughs) And, 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 and it's just like, that is, it's, it's always been one of my favorite calls and it's just, there's nothing like it you know, in this day and age and broadcast, there's just nothing like it. And there never will be again. And it's, you know, I kind of feel the same way. I feel the same way about late night talk shows as as I watch YouTube. You know what I mean? Like just genuinely entertaining people with personality who are fun. Yeah. And, and they're there. It's something that just some people have and some people don't. And, the way that media used to be structured, those people kind of bubbled to the top. And now, you know, it's much more, and there are pluses and minuses each way, of course, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's much more flat. And, um, and the people who you kind of feel are good broadcasters now are pretty vanilla and you almost have to be in this day and age. And, you know, he was kind of one of the last true personalities. I feel like, you know, on the radio and I, I try to listen to a lot of the, you know, the visiting broadcast now that Shannon has retired and we're stuck with Ricky Horton, who's one of the most God awful announcers in all of sports. Um, and it's just an embarrassment that he is Mike Shannon's replacement, just a total embarrassment. Um, but it, there's just, there are guys who are good and interesting, but just no one as big as Shannon and like, and he's just so unique and so endearing and he just would win people over like at first sometimes people would be like like what are you making me listen to and then you just be like just just stay with it and then once they do it's like he, he's just wonderful like yeah i, I look cool. forward to meeting back up with him on the radio every night you know during the long summer of the baseball season right but but at the same time like if somebody who wasn't a cardinals fan kind of said like Oh, I don't enjoy it or I don't get it. Like I kind of understood that too. Oh, sure. You sort of there you, you had to um <laughs> you had to get to know the rhythms and the characters and stuff to really do that. And that, you know, the characters just remind I I I know I've talked about before, but just one my favorite ongoing thing was just Mike Shannon and Fast Eddie's and just like, and it was, I mean, my God, it was an ad read, right? It was an yes. ad read that he did forever. But like, I swear, like Mike Shannon spun this bar in Alton, Illinois into this like Shangri-La and just like <laughs> yeah. would create this, you know, just like, just between his enthusiasm and just whatever he was imagine, you know what I mean? It just, it, it's like it sprung out of his imagination and into like your imagination. And so I just was just always fascinated about like, where is he going to take these like tales of fast eddies uh you know next as he's just kind of filling in these ad reads but then there were just little things like the little needling about uh oh you know jim jackson bought a lottery ticket you know (laughs) just (laughs) just as like random things that he'd throw in so um and the laugh and the laugh like that was the whole thing it was just like you know sometimes i'd be like sometimes I would wonder, I'd be like, is this annoying? But like, once he starts laughing, it's like, no, it's, it's not annoying at all. Right. Like it's, it's just all, it's just all from like a a place of fun and enjoyment. Right. Like it's just, and it's just very contagious. And uh, you know, it's, I, I heard, uh, I think it was Will Leach said that he's probably heard Mike Shannon say more words about the St. Louis Cardinals than any, than any person, uh, in his life. And 
uh, Dan McLaughlin's probably a close second. And I was thinking, yeah, you know, like once Horton joined the broadcast, I kind of would switch over to the radio more often. And I think it's probably just clearly Shannon for me. And yeah. it is kind of like losing uh, uh, a friend in a way. Yeah. Um, because, well, it, you know, even if you never interacted with him. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, it reminded me of when Jack Buck died. And I remember the kind of like sadness I felt then because same thing. It was like this voice that I was used to hearing, you know, narrate the games to me was not going to be there anymore. Although it's funny. It also did remind me when that happened, I remember thinking, oh God, Shannon's going to be doing the play-by-play now. I was like, I, mean, <laughs> I, I love the like color, like, you know, kind of throw-ins, but like, he's going to be doing the game calls, you know, because <laughs> like he was always a little more of the like rascal color guy, you know, when, when Buck was doing the primary play-by-play call. But, uh, you know, of course, Shannon was, was quite good. Um, I, and I think it'd be funny. It'd be interesting to go back and listen to when he was mostly doing color, but, you know, I think he he probably got you know better at the play by play because that was my perception then anyway, but um, you know, obviously enjoyed him and, and was so grateful to have so many more years with him. Um, ben, we had a number of listeners write in with some remembrances of them and I've got that up here. Do you have that up as well? So. Yes, um, I do. So I, maybe we can kind of alternate and read through some of these as well. So the first one we had was from uh, Sarah Ann Um and she, she wrote in uh, remembering um, my, the context is Mike Shannon um, having to guess what uh, NFTs were, um, which is obviously a pretty uh, recent <laughs> one. I just love the whole idea of Mike Shannon having to do an ad read about NFTs. Um, and uh, he, he came up with uh, no friggin tonsils. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. Uh, he's so good. Uh, the uh, next one we have is from Lou Gibby. And uh, this is from the r slash uh, Cardinals on Reddit. I liked Mike's multiple uh, pron- pronunciations of Manny Muchado uh, at the plate. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely one of those, just with that spelling, you can absolutely hear it, can't you? Manny Muchado can definitely. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. On that one. Uh, Kyle uh, Sheramito, um from Facebook said, um, uh, well, actually, no, he just mentions this. He has asked us if we could. We don't have the clip, but he also mentions uh, uh, Shannon calling the homer by Pujols off Kerry Wood at Wrigley. So we didn't play the clip, but Ben, I think you gave us a, a really a lovely description of that. That was definitely one of the, the, the all-time great calls. Um, we have Eric B. And uh, his memory is, you can't sneak the sun past the rooster. I've, and I that, that one is really fantastic. Um, and he says that's just one of his favorites. Uh, Shannon is a legend and will always be remembered. All right. Uh, Willie at uh, B. Cotner 56 says it was well into the evening one summer day, and Mike Shannon was in rare form behind the mic. His pronunciation of the closer's name as we entered the top of the night, Ice Ringhusen. <laughs> to this day, <laughs> that's how I say Izzy's name. Uh, the voice of summer for so many years, ice ring who's in. And I wonder if Mike would still call him that when they would run into each other at Fast Eddie's. <laughs> Probably. And uh, Isringhausen just went along with it, right? Yeah. You well, know, what are you going to do? Hilarious... Are you, you going to correct him? I mean, do you think anybody no, ever no. went up and corrected him? Do you think Dylan Carlson ever went up to him and corrected him? No, no. Yeah, you just, so. uh, you are now Dylan. That's your name. Yeah. Uh, uh, Allison uh, shares, I always remember the time Shannon, unprompted, began to explain the plot of Sex and the City 2 to John Rooney. As you can imagine, Shannon's recap style was disjointed and nonlinear, mixed in with his and his wife's reactions to various scenes, but unrelentingly enthusiastic. He was cracking himself up, which was cracking me up, all while John discreetly tried to steer the conversation back to the game. Quote, huh, how about that? Anyway, fastball inside. 
I wonder if that was HBO's first and last attempt at a paid Shannon endorsement. I don't know, Allison. When you hear that, the enthusiastic ones like that, I feel like weren't paid. I feel like um, I'm, I'm thinking Mike actually saw that and had something to say about it. I don't know. Um, but I, gosh, I wish I could hear Mike Shannon talk about sex in the city too. Um, <laughs> that'd be a great one. Uh, and then Dan, uh, our good friend, uh, Dan at book owl who helps us out with social media, uh, says, uh, any, he also mentions any story involving fast Eddie's Bon Air and Alton, Illinois was fantastic. And then a couple of his favorite quotes, uh, everyone's on a pitch count now. You people down on the farm, don't let Major League Baseball on your place or they'll have the cows on a pitch count. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, this game began as a tiny worm and is blossoming into a large cobra. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Uh, Raymond Sandejas shares early 90s broadcast. Mike. It's a hot one today, Jack. I think I'm going to crack open a cold, frosty Budweiser, Jack. That sounds like a great idea, Mike. Sound of beer can opening. Pause, Mike. Ah. Of course, this may not be exactly how it happened, Raymond shares. Yes, but we we understand uh, we understand the sentiment for sure. So uh, anyway, uh, thank you to everybody for sharing those uh, those memories and uh yeah, fun to fun to be able to think back and, of course, remember Mike Shannon. Um, we did get some baseball questions as well, but Ben, we're we're running pretty late here, so I think we might need to hold those for uh, for next next time. What do you think? Uh, I think that's probably best. Thank you, everyone, uh, for submitting your Shannon memories and also your questions. Uh, we apologize uh, with the the Contreras debacle. Uh, you know, we just had to devote a little bit more time to that, uh, and we don't have as much time for questions, but uh, we'll be sure to answer questions for the next episode. And the version of this that you're listening to cuts out another four hours of Ben and I just ranting and raving about the Contreras situation. I think I can promise uh, listeners that. So uh, anyway, Ben, as we uh, steer things into uh, the uh, the closing gate here, uh, moving forward, what are you going to be looking for? Uh, I am going to be looking for how they manage Tyler O'Neill. This feels like, you know, their, their traditional move where they put him on the IL and put him on a rehab stint and then he comes up and hits pretty well. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that plays out. And then, you know, once he is back with the club, you know, how are they going to handle the outfield? Because right now they have essentially pushed Nolan Gorman, their best hitter this year, uh, or one of their best hitters. I think Goldschmidt's making a push for him uh, of late, but uh, it's basically pushed Gorman out of DH into second base, which has had the chain reaction of pushing Donovan from second base to the outfield. And once Tyler O'Neill comes back, that's probably not going to be as viable a lineup. And so how is Marmol uh, going to manage given his decision and management's decision that Contreras is not going to be catching and is only going to be DHing? So uh, I'm very interested given how much he was whining uh, when Walker was up and he has now painted himself into a different corner how will he handle the corner that he's painted himself into? Wouldn't it be funny if when uh, Tyler O'Neill is uh, ready to come off the disabled list, it just happened to be right at the same time that uh, Wilson Contreras had learned enough to be ready to catch again. That would be wild. I mean, it'd just be a crazy coincidence if that happens, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll just have to be on the lookout for that. <laughs> he's um, cured. He, they've taught him everything he needs to know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ben, I'm going to be looking for any bold move at all, just any, any kind of bold move by this organization, something that is not just essentially waiting for attrition to push them into some kind of a, you know, uh, a move with this roster, um, 
and I, my mind goes, frankly, to that garbage um, starting rotation, first and foremost. Um, you know, they don't have great options, but I do think Libertor has made a pretty strong, has made a strong enough case for himself that I think most organizations that were uh, prioritizing being competitive would find a way to give, you know, give him a shot. So, and I also think there are, you know, pitchers in that rotation with names like Jack Flaherty, Stephen Matz, who have made a pretty strong case to uh, not be in that rotation for someone like Matthew Libertor to, you know, to get a shot. So I'm curious just to see when will this organization make a bold move like that? That's not, you know, pulling Jake Woodford because Adam Wainwright's healthy. When will they just say, you know what, we're doing this, you know, to uh, we're making a bold move because we think this is going to make us better. Um, and that's where my mind goes to is that kind of starters move. But, you know, it could be something on the lineup side as well. I mean, I suppose you could argue the Contreras thing was a bit of a bold move, but it was obviously very problematic as well. I'm, I'm interested to see that. I know a lot of people, their mind always goes to trade when they think about these things and they might make a trade. It, but it's just, there, there really is no trade market at this time of year. I mean, baseball, it's almost like soccer, like where there's there's a, there's transfer, there's like the off-season transfer window and then there's the mid-season transfer window. That's essentially how baseball works these days. So it's it's just almost impossible that you really see any kind of, you know, transactions happen. So, so sure, if they did something like that, it would be a bold move, but it's just basically impossible. So anyway, I'm going to be looking for any kind of a bold move, Ben. Uh, so what you're saying is they need to to clear some of the Dr. Thunder off the shelf and, and try to find some Dr. Pepper. I would certainly love it if they did. I'd love to see some, uh, some, some name brand cola here. I'm ready for a sleepover at the rich kid's house, Ben. I want, <laughs> I want, I want Dr. Pepper and Doritos. <laughs> I, I think we all want Dr. Pepper and Doritos. Uh, we sure do. We sure do. Uh, ben, do you have an off day recommendation for folks? I do. Uh, since we're dunking on Ali Marmal, I thought I would I would complete that with uh, Joe Poznanski, a, a fairly uh, well-renowned sports writer, has a blog called Joe Blogs on Substack. And on Friday, on his Friday Rewind, he has a post from May 5th, uh, the most recent Friday, five days ago uh, from when we're recording this, probably six days ago from when you're listening. Uh, and it's called The Mighty Have Fallen. And it's about the Cardinals and Yankees and it's uh, and Oliver Marmol and just kind of uh, all of that. And it's a good read. And I encourage folks to check that out um, because I feel more and more uh, Armal, Marmal seems to be in over his head and flailing like a drowning rat and it's sad to see and, and hopefully the team starts playing better and he looks less like he's flailing and angry and knows that he shouldn't have the job that he has. Yeah. yeah. Um, my off day recommendation uh, is a, a post called uh, Meeting Mike Shannon by Charlie Haas at uh, OnlyCardsFans.com. And I'd also say just a general recommendation for that, that site, um, OnlyCardsFans.com. I've really been enjoying a lot of the writing and posts there, just really well, um, well written, well thought out. So I'd, I'd say, you know, check out um, any of the other posts there as well. But obviously that one, a recent one, um, just kind of a great remembrance about an, an interaction with uh, Mike Shannon at, uh, at spring training uh, many years ago. So good one to, to check out. Ben, anything else before we, uh, we wrap it up? No, uh, our 18 month, nothing about the Cardinals, but our 18 month old uh, can say, go Cardinals, swing, hit, strike. So uh, he has some of the basics down uh, for cheering them on. And he can say two players' names. And those players' names are Ozzy and Yachty. And oh, okay. The the E at the end uh, is a big reason why. Uh, it also does not hurt that they're you know recognizable by their first names and sure. prominently featured in the room where we change his diapers. Yeah, uh, you know, big, big Ozzy Smith poster, big Yachty picture. 
so he knows those two players. Do, do we need to update the Go Cardinals at the end of the theme music to include him as well with with our, our older children? Oh, I, I maybe at some point in time. Uh, I, I don't know if he could participate in a in a sort of coordinated a, a cheer coordinated, of Go Cardinals. Right, right. Yeah, it's all everything spontaneous with we him. We could do we could do we could do that in post if we had to, I suppose. So <laughs> yeah, we we could try that. Yeah, um, yeah. But so he he's progressing. It's very good that he doesn't understand what wins and losses are. Uh, because he's he's progressing in his fandom, and he gets very excited when we get excited that the Cardinals scored a run. Like he runs around the room and like yells and shakes his fists. Uh, so I I think I've uh, got him down the path of being a Cardinals fan, um, and we'll see if he makes that choice for himself as he ages. Well, running around the room shaking fists is definitely what I've been doing a lot this season as well. <laughs> So, yeah, it's perfect, uh, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, thank you all for joining us for another Cardinals Off Day episode. Uh, thank you to Devon for the theme music. Thank you, as always, to Dan for helping us out on social media. And we will see you all on the next Cardinals Off Day. Go Cardinals!